No matter what you think about global environmental issues, the very clear fact is that local pollution in our cities is harming and killing people. We need to act now. Electric cars will reduce local effects, not only in terms of harmful gases, but also in terms of noise pollution. Furthermore, alternative power sources for transport represent, in an increasing way, jobs and growth in the future. So, should we actively encourage the adoption of these vehicles? And by encourage, I mean do more than just cheer from the sidelines, but rather provide incentives and or infrastructure to help vehicle manufacturers promote vehicles to customers. Lenore Fletcher is the General Manager of Corporate Communications for BMW Australia and she joins us on the line. Lenore, thanks very much for your time. Not a problem, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Is Australia behind in encouraging new technology like electric cars? I can only say to you that Australia is so far behind that it's frightening. Um, In terms of comparing us with our colleagues in Europe and in the USA, We rate behind uh, those a very long way and we in fact rate behind third world countries or what we would consider to be emerging economies or third world countries. So it really is an issue for Australia that that we need to get on board with. Not just for the sake of the decadent joy of private motorists, an expression I've used, it is the core of a whole range of technologies, isn't it? It really is bringing in a lot of new technology, a lot of new componentry, a lot of new manufacturing processes. I mean, it's not just about the vehicle itself and the emissions that come from the vehicle. It's about the entire value and supply chain. What would we mean by encourage them? What would that involve, say, at the federal government level? Um, The interesting thing in Australia, I guess, is that we have uh, such um, a segmentation of our markets. So we have a lot of Uh, federal legislation. We have a lot of state-based legislation. And then on top of that, we also have a lot of local-based legislation. So Australia, such a large geographical country, such a small population, it's not an easy ask. But in terms of what we need to do on a basis from a federal point of view, we really do need to look at what we can do in terms of incentivisation and also in terms of infrastructure. Incentivisation might be uh, getting rid of, say, the luxury car tax on more environmentally sustainable cars. Would that be an example? Look, that is an example. You, you know, you can have tariff and duty relief. You can also have things that are cost neutral, such as allowing EV users privileges that, that normal gasoline uh, vehicle users may not have. For instance, the use of transit lanes, hmm. um, use of free parking in c- city centres. Again, though, you're going from a federal through to a state and a local point of view. But there are there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that hasn't been plucked yet in Australia and that would make a lot of difference in a very quick period of time. Okay. It's, it, we don't have to hang out for a long time but could get into it immediately. Is there a role for the federal government in pulling this all together and uh, working with local and state governments? Is that part of their opportunity that they've got here? Absolutely. And I think, you know, what we need for a start is, you know, to have some really defined targets for um, the acceptance, the take-up rate of of, uh, low-emission vehicles within the Australian vehicle market. So, I mean, that's a very straightforward and a very easy Um, as I said, low-hanging fruit that we could start off with. Let's have some real targets and let's start working towards them with some uh, concrete incentivisation. 
Are people keen to get electric cars? What what would be positive reasons from the customer perspective? Well, from a customer perspective, I think that there's, you know, we have, we, I guess it comes back to um, what BMW's uh, global president said, to make a success of electric vehicles, we need to have three things. We need to have um, legislation, we need to have industrialisation and we need to have customers. And the interesting thing is we've already seen that we actually do have those customers here in Australia and customers are attracted to this technology for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of people who are very tech savvy and they're very keen on the additional technology that's in these cars. The, For instance, with our i3, we have the actual... Uh, frame of the car in carbon fibre. People are really excited about that type of technology. Um, some of the inside of the car is made from PET, you know, water bottles uh, that have been recycled. So we've got a really, really strong environmental interest in Australia. There are a lot of people who are very interested. So they're very interested in getting on board with um, sustainable and also really new technology. So we've got a lot of people who just want to know about something that's new and interesting and at the same time doing good stuff for the planet. I went around a race circuit slowly, not uh, frantically, in a Tesla with my 16-year-old boy and he loved the technology and I think Tesla has said that's often the young people who are yeah. nagging their parents, if I may use those words, to consider this sort of new technology. Among other things, the young fella loved the big screen. Is that is that part of it? Absolutely, and that's a really interesting point you bring. Now, we've got a little program where we go out and we talk to schools on different subjects. And our CEO the other day went out to um, a, a secondary school here in Melbourne, and he, it was a girls' school, and he was talking about this eye technology and what's going on. And he, he wasn't sure how this would be received, but he came away and uh, he was absolutely floored by the interest and also by the knowledge base that's already out there. These guys, and it was a girls' school, mm. these girls actually were so across the technology and asking really in-depth questions. So you're right, it's the young people in a lot of instances who have this main interest, which is a really good thing for our future. I love your point about asking in-depth questions. We seem to have, certainly within the political environment, lost the ability to have a conversation that seems to be just screaming platitudes at people. It, it, it is good that we can be more than just a one-liner, that it's got a whole pile of dimensions to it and, and interesting points about it. Oh, look, definitely. And, and I think that... One of the key points about bringing out this sort of technology is that we will see a drip feed through to mainstream models. So you do have the um, the standout models as they come out, like our i3 and our i8. But as we've seen, some of that technology and some of that knowledge is making its way into more mainstream models like the carbon fibre construction, which is... Um, stronger than steel, easier to repair and more lightweight. Well, that's, yeah, that's a win-win really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And also, funnily enough, it's actually made with completely renewable energy in our factory in Moses Lake in the US. So, you know, there's just so much, there's so much happening in this space. It's just endlessly fascinating, but it's really exciting too. And it's it doesn't necessarily have to be... Well, I think you, you mentioned that uh, it, it, it can be very uh, sexy as well.
Yeah, we'll come to that. That's uh, an important point, I believe. Uh, the, the limitations, as particularly as something like range, is is it important for governments and authorities and perhaps even getting business involved in terms of getting charging stations in to give people confidence as well as the opportunity to use it to charge in case they have to? Look, it is important and the infrastructure is certainly something that people perceive that they really do require. Um, and there's some discussion about, well, you know, I, I, don't, I can't drive from Melbourne to Sydney in an electric vehicle. Well, no, at this point, um, you can't drive from Melbourne to Sydney in one of our vehicles. But we find that very few of our customers do actually drive from Melbourne to Sydney because mm. why would you? Everybody flies in any case. But that's another story. But the infrastructure is something that we do want to see, particularly within cities, so that people can have that... I guess, that feeling of security that if they do need to recharge, they can. But at the same time, David, there's, there's two things at play here. First of all, the majority of Australian consumers, far majority, over 90%, travel less than 95 kilometres a day. Mm. Um, that's number one. And the range of these vehicles is now real world well over 200, up to 300 kilometres. Um, and the second thing is is that you can actually um, recharge uh, via a normal PowerPoint wherever you are in any case. So, mm. you know, we do need the infrastructure for people to feel secure, but in real life, very often people would not really... Um, people can certainly make their normal commute without worrying too much about that. And the batteries, um, the improvement in the battery range is just developing so quickly that I think this is, this is going to be a worry of the past very soon. What range do you think you can get? Your, your BMW, I guess, is part and parcel of looking at that new and developing technology. What might be uh, the sort of uh, range we might see in the next five to ten years? Well, I think it's funny. We, just the other week, we had uh, one of our global uh, experts out here on BMWi, and he's sort of saying that there's a tipping point for consumer confidence, and it seems to be that they're seeing in Europe it's around 400, 300, 300 to 400 kilometres. They're saying, so they're saying that once the cars can do in real world conditions three, three fifty, four hundred kilometres that range anxiety will disappear. It won't, it won't be happening at all because people find that an acceptable distance, if you like, in their headspace. So they kind of go, oh, well, you know, I can do three, 400 Ks, I'm fine. And they stop worrying. So that is not, I don't believe that that's very far away at all. Is there a mindset change there that we used to think of having the car that can do everything? Are we moving now to more, if you pardon the pun, horses for courses that you know, we are less likely to need that and we may have other options to get that type of car for that one-off experience? Well, I think if you have a plug-in hybrid, so you have that backup of the um, gasoline engine, you're still able to do a lot of your commuting in terms of electric power because... Uh, it's uh, the range on that is extending so that you're able to do a lot of your daily commute on electric. But if you do want to go for that longer trip, you do have the security of having the gasoline engine. So I think that's a really good bridging technology and that's a really good way to get people to feel comfortable um, with that type of technology now. Again, um, we will see better battery range in the future and we will see some infrastructure because it is impossible that 
the infrastructure won't be available. It is in every other mature economy and we need to follow suit here in Australia. You mentioned the word sexy that I was interested in. If you look back at the history of the hybrid, particularly the Prius coming in, it was seen almost as a trendy thing for left-wing side of politics. And there are in America the big trucking or utility pickup culture in some areas that really uh, uh, disparage the Prius Uh, And it was, I think, seen almost a bit nerdy as a sort of car. Your i8 is a low-slung, glorious-looking sports car. Does that help also that electric cars do accelerate remarkably well? Is that part and parcel of saying this is not suffering for your beliefs, it's merely accommodating them in a new way? Look, absolutely. And I think this is why BMW's strategy was to bring out, first of all, the i3, which was a pure battery electric vehicle. Um, and at the same time, the second, well, the second, very very hot on the heels of the i3 was the i8. And I think the i8 is a fantastic example of what can be done in this space to have such a, a really good um, economical engine uh, set up, drivetrain, but at the same time have that absolutely rock star sex appeal that the i8 has. And it's really funny. Now, we, we, we launched that vehicle almost two years ago now. And yet still, if you drive that car down the street, goodness gracious, it's, um, it's head turning and heads do turn, especially when you open the scissor doors. People, people just, it's just a magnet mm. for people to come and have a look at. Um, and I think that that's a really, a really key thing to show you that you can be environmentally friendly, you can be responsible, doesn't mean you can't have a lot of fun. It's a springboard to other issues as well. Now, you talking about that, you've got this data uh, collection that you've got, which will allow BMW to work with a customer in an energy way, which is not just driving around, for example, as well as, of course, getting your car well understood of where it's at and what it might need. Uh, We did a story in the news about that. Is that an important part for BMW? BMW um, has um, a a slogan, if you like, which we can all say is is marketing hype, but it actually does have a lot of truth in it. And and BMW talks about the future of personal mobility. Mm. So the future of personal mobility, totally. We make cars. There's no two ways about it. And we are very, very passionate about making cars. But at the same time, BMW recognises that the way that we own and drive and look at and get around in vehicles today may not be the way that it is done tomorrow. So we have um, personal mobility apps. We have an app that you can put on your phone. You can um, talk to your car. You can you can look at your car when it's parked. I mean, you can see that nothing's happened to it. You can precondition it. You can see what charge it's sitting at. You can do all sorts of things with your cars. But at the same time, these apps, and some of this is available in Australia and some of it is coming, but you can also work out the best route before you leave. The car can tell you it's time to go now. It can send you a message saying, well, your next appointment is it, is it in the city, so there's bad traffic, so you probably need to leave about now. Um, so there's all of this interaction between the vehicle and yourself, but it can also find car parks for you. It can then map your route from the car park to the actual office 
it's astonishing how technology and this connectivity is advancing and just exactly how convenient it can be for the for the people who need to get somewhere. So personal mobility might not just be the car. It could be that you're taking a bus part of the way or it could be that it's finding you a car park or you're walking part of the way. And that is what we're tuned into, getting people from one place to another in the most... Um, enjoyable and sustainable way. There's a big issue there. There's a huge issue. I, I, I'm glad to hear that sort of broad thinking is being considered. Coming from a transport planning side, there is a desperate need not to look at it in a very one-dimensional sense, but in a multi-dimensional. The other thing is that it's bringing us to understand the customer needs much better rather than the generalities under which we used to plan transport. I'll finish with this one uh, point. An international company, uh, you have to tread carefully with the politics of the situation. Is it uh, a company might well be acting with a firm belief in, say, something like climate change? I've talked about local only because it is a clearly focused thing, which I hope, of course, will bring about a better overall global climate as well. And I was very pleased to hear you say that your your company is manufacturing something with totally renewable energy. Do you have to tread carefully? Might some people become a bit narky? Uh, are we talking locally or internationally? <laughs> uh, well, let's talk locally. Uh, look, I don't think we have to tread um too carefully. We have had extensive and um, uh, long talks with all levels of government and we um, have a very good relationship with different government departments but we feel very strongly that there is a need for this recognition of climate change and that there is a need for uh, action in the Australian um, environment. We're very strong about that and we have seen it um, echoed in Europe, in the US, etc. It, it is a given. We need to get on board and do something about it. So, look, we we do value our relationships within uh, the Australian environment, industry and government, um, but we do also stay true to our beliefs that we need to be actively doing something about it. Relationships, I think, is very important. I don't want someone just standing on a soapbox. I want them interacting and bringing up facts and opportunities and things that can be beneficial to all. I, I appreciate your approach. Lenore, thank you very much for your time. Not a problem, David. It's an absolute pleasure. That's Lenore Fletcher, the General Manager of Corporate Communications for BMW Australia. 